Are you tired of using Google Drive or Dropbox to send files to clients? Well, never get burned again with FilePass. I love and use FilePass exclusively for sending files to my clients. It's a cloud file sharing website specifically made by engineers for engineers. It's absolutely amazing. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash FilePass to check out the full feature list and subscribe today. Never lose another dime to burned projects. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me as always is Language Lou. Um, Konnichiwa. (laughs) I I was like, wait, fuck. Uh, I can say hi in Spanish, but that's atypical Lou. Um, Ciao. Eh, well, hold on. A space typical Lou. A-space. Not atypical Lou. A space typical. Yeah. The typical Lou. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, we we have a great episode for y'all today. And these these nicknames are getting so la- lazy. I need to start thinking about them before we say them. It's all right. Whatever. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk about, I mean, you've read the title already, commercial music versus mixing for commercial records versus mixing creatively, right? And there's a little bit of a difference. Now, we all understand that mixing is very subjective, and there's records that we love, there's records that we hate, there's re- and there's going to be people that find the opposite, right? People that love the yeah. record that you hate, people that hate the record that you love, just based on tonality and sounds. There's a few things that are objective. For example, tones do create a sense of nostalgia. For example, mm-hmm. how the low end and top end and mid range sounds in a song can create the vibe of a mod or a retro track. Like you can it also feels say retro. that it would give you a different type of emotion too, there like a go. more snarly kind of distorted kind of thing versus just a lightly distorted thing. Yeah. So there's a lot of some things, aspects of mixing that are objective, but the thing that is the most subjective is how um, a general population likes it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, Sometimes we've had we've heard crazy amazing mixes on songs that didn't need it and yep. we've heard some really bad mixing on songs that needed a good mix. Yeah. And uh Lou and I work in commercial music, meaning yeah. that we work on contemporary pop R&B hip hop records, right? We'll just say pop for the the east there cuz I do some country songs here and there we I, we do some rock songs yeah. here and there. Um but it's we're just going to say pop, right? And uh, we 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 also understand that mixing is super subjective, but when it comes to contemporary pop records for labels and radios, most of the time there is less there's less flexibility in a mix. Yeah, meaning that every single pop record should sound at least comparable to the previous pop record yeah. whereas for example like Sufjan Stevens like I, I think the famous story goes he recorded it into an 8 track recorder and then and then he took the 32 or t- 36 bit uh, sample or sorry 38 kilohertz sample aux headphone aux out and, and recorded each of those 8 tracks into Pro Tools <laughs> so it's like really low sample rate distorted and that was what made Something like that, something crazy yeah. like that, and that's what made Sufjan Stevens blow up as well. So, um, we're going to talk a little bit about creative mixing versus commercial mixing, and and why 
why people, these labels still pay so much money for these high-end mixers. And then also why you shouldn't care as much. You know, I'm not going to lie. We're going to fight both. I know this is going to be a side tangent note, but that kind of gave me an idea to just try summing through like old school recorders and see what the sun set down signal through a low quality thing would be because uh listening to artists like sam smith and everything and how they have like kind of like lower i guess resolution sounding mixes on some instruments and all that kind of stuff yeah it sounds really cool but now that you kind of mentioned that out loud i'm like you know what kind of want to try that that that'd be a great idea for a creative mix you know what it might be totally might be I, I, that's actually a pretty um common thing to try anyway uh let's get into this topic lou i want to ask you sure um what are your thoughts just on the premise we'll start with basics and kind of get more specific along sure. uh, as the show goes on what are your basic thoughts of creative versus commercial mixing and what what are some of the first thoughts that came into your mind when i when we brought up this topic uh well you know i use the song till now by banks as like my monitor reference song i don't think it's necessarily a commercial mix but it's one of the best mixes in my opinion that i've heard in a while and not because of any like oh my god this song's a bop or anything but because of the detail that you hear but no it's fairly commercial no it's fairly commercial but um the other day i was with um who was it uh we were testing out um some monitors and they instantly turned it down at the end of the song where the drums are completely distorted and everything. We didn't have the speakers loud or anything, um, but they thought I was blowing the speakers. I'm like, no, that's the mix. That's the mix. Uh, like, yeah, you were scared like... of the mix at a certain point, but like, it's such uh it's such a good mix on it, but it's such a creative mix. Banks overall has very commercial mixes through her songs. But when I think of creative versus like commercial mixes, I'm thinking more like, this is not something I'd hear on the radio and then be like, oh, yeah, this is the hot new single. This is the song everybody should be listening to because they usually want something almost like well-delivered, well-packaged. It sounds great. It's polished sounds. You know, it can stand next to like an Ariana Grande song or to a Childish Gambino song and like the mixes can be close to each other. But like Childish Gambino also has very creative mixes. But when you really listen to them, you're like, yo, that's a very commercial bass tone. That's a very commercial snare tone. That's a very commercial kick hit. You know, there's like elements to something that makes it a little more commercial versus creative. There, actually, actually yeah. this is a great, This is, I don't mean to cut you off, yeah. but this is actually a really great point. There's a lot of crossover. There's a lot yeah. of commercial mixes that do well um, that sound like, like, I'm trying to describe what a commercial mix is versus like a creative mix and the differences. But there's, the Think fact about is Backstreet there's a Boys lot of like Britney crossover. Spears. Like they're very clean and standard sounding records. With I mean, Bruno a very Mars, similar mix. Even, yeah. even if it's like modern retro, but the fact that it's it feels modern is the yeah. commercial part of it. Yeah. Like Silk Sonic still has a very, it's modern retro. Like yeah. it's very old and vintage. There's signs of it, but it's still at the end of the day, really commercial. It's interesting. Um, I think like a great example of like a non-commercial, like a, a very creative commercial mix is uh, like um, Billie, Billie Eilish. Right? Ooh, it's just like yeah. or like triple x yeah you know um just or totally. even bryson tiller's trapsole album yeah so like, there's a lot of crossover there yeah. so but i do think there is a difference whereas like sufjan stevens records mm -hmm. do not sound like it cost a million bucks to make yeah but if you listen to any ariana grande song it she sounds... could have recorded it at home but yeah. they all sound like it, they, they sound expensive yeah the silk sonic it sounds expensive yeah even though it's like modern vintage right yeah um so i think that's what it is and 
And from my personal research, I don't have the numbers that labels have, but when I've worked with enough artists on a regular basis that I know that a lot of times, especially when an artist comes from non-professional mixes to mixing with a professional like myself, mm-hmm. it does most of the time affect their numbers. Like it's, uh, I have a very good inst- I My instinct says that it actually does affect their numbers. I've seen this um, actually back to back in a few cases, mm-hmm. um, but there's also a lot of other variables that was in place. So I, it's not like an isolated uh, double blind test, yeah. you know, but, uh, yeah, it might be that they also have a little more reach and they're pushing more towards it so they can afford to get more professional mixes now. Yeah, so there's a lot more variables yeah. involved, but that being said, um, these labels wouldn't be paying this much for these super high end mixers. If it wasn't something that they were doing that got them to where they're hitting yeah. certain targets. And it may be things like those higher end mixers are just the most reliable in the industry. Like they have, a lot like they are on they're on a schedule that the labels aware about they're consistent yeah. they know they're going to do good work they don't have to question it yeah it may be more about just that. get it done get it back to us if the artist is okay with it and everybody's okay with it we're okay with it because i'll be honest i've met a and r's who they're like oh yeah we just released the album how's it sound it's like i mean it sounds good we send it to so-and-so for mixing so you know it's going to sound good it's like have you listened to it it's like oh, i listened to a couple tracks on it you know they sounded fine it was like you didn't verify the rest? Okay. Yeah. I mean, shit, that's trust in your engineer. That's that's a really good sign for that engineer. But that also means that, like, at a certain point in your career, you start knowing what it is that people are looking for, you know? And that's the difference between creative and commercial to me. When you know that there's an uncommunicated target, right? You might be saying to yourself, okay, well, what are these targets? Like, I make, let's say, synth pop. Okay, cool. Well, find another synth pop artist that does really well and then find the next top five in relation to them and see if you can find out things that are very common in their mixes. Like, do their uh, kicks always land in a similar pocket, like loudness wise? Like, is it always three dBs above the bass? Or, like, in certain genres, like in rock, a lot of times you can hear the snare louder than the kick by a long shot. In other genres, you hear the kick louder than the snare, um, depending on the group, right? But in some genres, there just isn't a kick. You know, depending on what you're doing depends if it's something creative or commercial. You might be looking at a situation where you're like, okay, you know what? Um, what's What was the group? Mumford and Sons? Mm-hmm. Uh, that style of like, we'll say it's like folk, uh, folk music, right? Um, I'm not going to lie. The older, no, well. It's, yeah, the it's, old, it's, yeah. it's a kind modern of. mix though. Yeah, yeah. It's a modern mix, though. Like, when you listen to it, you're like, wow, that kick sounds like it's got definition. It sounds like they actually, like, room mic'd it and everything. Um, That sounds very commercial to me. But a lot of folk music isn't very commercial in their mixes. So would that be the opposite? Would being going the commercial way be going the creative way? You know what I mean? It it stands against uh, the grain, I guess you could say. Yeah. And then I'm also thinking, like, songs like... Songs like anything from John Mayer where oh, it yeah. is, it's like very different from like a Dua Lipa totally. Yeah. But it still sounds really well done. Yeah. Really warm. It's like the opposite tonally, but it still like feels like a million dollar mix. So, mm. um, but yeah, that's more of like blending. It's not so much like tonal balance in that sense. 
That's but that's notice anything about John Mayer's mixes? How like his level of clarity is different from one song to another. Like his vocal tone may be a little more nasally in another, but it actually still fits. Yeah. I think though his mixes are commercial. Um, there's still that crossover, like we talked about, where you can still find issues in the mix, but that actually helped the mix. I think those are the creative differences in those mixes. Mm-hmm. But commercially speaking, they always have like that punch. The guitar always has like this perfect pocket next to the vocal because aside from being a good vocalist, his main thing is being a guitarist. Yeah. He's, an, he's an instrumentalist that can sing really well. Like, what's that song? Um, I still feel like a man. Yeah, yeah, I still feel like a man. Yeah, Yeah, that song is a great example of like a John Mayer mix that's like halfway between commercial and and creative because like it's a little bit dull, but it's also very clear. Like it's like nowadays, uh, if you listen to like uh, let's say TZ or Baines's mixes, they're very like top endy but not very bright. Like finding ways to push upper mids and top end versus like the really high highs, and uh, you starting to see like the trend of shrillness go away. But at a certain point, people were releasing mixes like that, and people were like, oh, there's not enough highs. Was, was that a commercial uh, trend difference, or was that a creative difference? Yeah. So um, we asked ChatGPT before starting this podcast episode about, like, what are some current trends? Let's see and what AI all of them, all of them uh, are pretty meh answers, except for <laughs> one, which is there has been an emphasis in clarity for, like, yep. the last decade specifically. You're seeing low end go down. Uh, yeah, well, there's been a lot of, like, uh, last 10 years ago, there's like a lot of low end and a lot of top end, but no mid range. Yep. This, this slowly we're starting to see less and less low end, uh, more for like upper mid, like for mid range and top end. But I mean, even like modern Chris Brown records, there's, it's just so bright. Yeah. You know, um, Tory Lanez is freaking bright. It's piercing. Yeah. And then, uh, but those are like specifically like R&B hip hop tracks. Cause I'm still yeah. thinking of like Charlie Puth where like Charlie Puth records are still kind of like. Sibilant. Uh, one, one of them, a couple of them are, but they're more still like within the realms of like normal. They're not like super low end heavy. They're not super top end heavy. Like the but funny they thing are bright. Is, like, I've but got... an Ariana Grande song is very bright right yeah. now. They're very yeah. super bright. I'm kind of going on that R&B hip hop thing, which is interesting because um, that's more based off of like that's more um, conversation about how influential the genres of hip hop and R&B are at this current time. Yeah. Like, it's kind of funny because you're seeing a return of rock and all that kind of stuff for the last couple of years. Um, so much so that there's like some big rock festivals that are going on like that everybody's starting to hear about. You know what I mean? There's being put a lot of money behind it. Um, but those mixes um, traditionally always had kind of like, oh, kicks down, bass up kind of vibe. You're starting to see the transition where like that hip hop kick that smacks through the speaker mm-hmm. is being put into mixes for rock. You're starting to see like uh, trap production drum samples and everything being sampled underneath an actual live kit and everything. You're starting to see like, okay, cool. Hip hop and R&B really do kind of influence what's going on so much so that, um, you know, that song, um, oh man, better than I was or I forget. It's the big Billie Eilish rock ballad. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah! I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but everybody's covering it. There's something about better than I yeah. was, or something like. Yeah, that. something about being better. Yeah, <laughs> like I tried. To happier f- than happier ever. Happier than ever. There you go. Um, but um, the funny thing is, like, I've heard ten different covers of it, each one in a different genre style, um, and yet 
all of them have a very different mix, very different approach to the vocalization of it. And these are the creative differences. But the ones that actually did numbers-wise on Spotify and everything better all had a very commercial mix to them, no matter what genre it was. But commercial just kind of comes back to that clarity. Like, creative differences could be like, I just want the vocal a little bit darker and muffly. I just like it. It sounds yeah. cool. But the label might hear that and be like, that sounds unprofessional. I'm sorry, but this is not the mix we're going to use. We're going to hire a different mixer. Yeah, I, th I think when I'm thinking about this out loud, because this episode, we're both trying to come to a conclusion of what it means, because yeah. there's an obvious difference. So I think one is, let me like kind of reframe our conversation that we've had so far. One, we both understand that there is a difference between creative mixing and commercial mixing. Yep. There's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of ways to be creative in a commercial mix, but there's obviously mixes that are just not commercial, but it doesn't mean it does bad. No. It's just not commercial. Yeah. Uh, right? So- um, there's, there's, that's the one thing that we can take care of. I think another thing that we can talk about, another thing that we can dive into is the idea that commercial mixes, the difference between commercial mixes, whether they have any sense of creativity in them or not, it's, it feels intentional. Yeah. Like it totally feels like it was done on purpose. And how can you tell, <clears throat> excuse me, how can you tell that a record that may sound distorted or may sound slightly bad, how can you tell that it was done on purpose? Like it's a feeling that genuinely comes from control, preciseness. Yep. One of the quick ways to tell is static effects. For instance, mm. automation oh, that's like is laziness, a very yeah, yeah. No, that's but, true, that, but that's, that's, one, of that's one of those things where it's a decisive change. Yeah, like if you just throw a delay on and you leave it on the entire song, it's yep. lazy and it sound it feels cheap. Yeah, but then you hear some songs where you're like it kind of is the vibe of the record though like the artist sang into it with that emotion in mind with those effects in mind staying there yeah yeah so so that's another thing topic that we were talking about is is i want to talk a little bit about is that i think the difference between a commercial mix mm -hmm. and a creative non-commercial mix is um is intention like those no that doesn't make sense either because i'm thinking about like the Sufjan Steven ones, it, it intentionally sounds so bad. But that's also why it makes it sound so right. Exactly. But see, like, okay, like an accidental thing might be like, oh, the vocal distorted really badly right there, but it's kind of a vibe. Mm. Leave it alone. Like the decision to leave it alone and to keep that distortion there, sure, that's a decisive one, but it's still a creative difference. I, th I think it comes down to balance. Because I'm thinking like there's songs that are darker, warmer, like John Mayer. Mm -hmm. There's songs that are really bright, like Ariana Grande. There's songs that are super transient. Yeah. And then there's songs that are very smashed and they're yeah. all playing on the radio. The one thing that doesn't work very well is a lack of balance. Yeah. Like... Even if you have super distorted, very bad recordings like Sufjan Steven or like yeah. very dark ones with John Mayer, they're very bright ones with Tory Lanez. The one thing that they all have in common is very good balance. Yeah. And sometimes like the kick drums are louder and the snares are quieter and, and the background vocals are less loud. I, yeah. I think it's less what it actually is, but rather what does the song want? And it feels like they're listening to the intention of the song. Like what does the song want to do? I don't know. Like when I listen again, I, th I we come back to this idea the end all the time. It's like a great mix. If you have a great mix, nobody's thinking about the mix. Yeah. Like nobody says, "Oh my gosh, what a great mix." Yeah. No, they're thinking like, "Oh my gosh, what a great song," and they actually give the artist a chance. Yep. Um, like if every time I listen to a song, like I do a good job, 
not, I don't mean to pat myself on the back here, but I, I do a good job being able to listen to music for fun. Like I don't overanalyze. Yeah. The only time that that overanalyzing brain turns on is when I hear a bad mix. Yeah. I'm like, oh, now I can't. Oh, and, and I'm noticing that this is something that even so my is that a does bad now, mix or a creative mix at that point? It's it's bad. I think no, it's bad because so I think a creative, would balance still exist in a creative mix. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, like some songs have more of this, less of this. Some some songs have like a lead that's way too loud. Yeah, but it feels right. Yeah, and I think that's what it comes down to. It's like yeah. a feeling thing. Um, and I, I think this is the reason why we can even get into why, like, I don't think AI is ever going to get mixing done right. No. One, because there's not enough capital in mixing. So these, these companies that could invest the technology into doing it, it's not really worth it. So it's going to be a slow grind. Yeah. Um, it's not the busy, biggest expense in the industry to pay for a mixer. Uh, but also, um, I'm thinking, yeah, like AI is really good at computing, computing math, mm -hmm. but, um, what what have I heard? The the Chris Graham says the when your arm the hair on your arm stand up when mm -hmm. you're when you're what is yeah. it called? Not uh, when you get chills. When you get chills, the yeah. goose pimples. What is it called? Goosebumps. Goosebumps. When you get goosebumps. Goose pimples. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I just pimples from a goose. Those goosebumps is not mathematically achieved, right? Yeah. And just like we're trying to like if if what gets put into AI, if you have to input something to get something out, like we we're having a hard time describing what. To input. Well, you know you what know? AI is never really going to do? What's that? Come up with an original thought based on just nothing. Uh, the funny thing is that AI is completely programmed and based off of information that's available. But if you wanted to go outside the box, you yeah, can't yeah. go based off of so, information so, that's available. Exactly. So, like, yeah. we, we can't even describe what makes a fantastic mix. So, like, I don't even know what we would input Sometimes into Sometimes you just AI. hear it and you're like, you know what? That's really cool. Hold on. Let me move in this direction. AI might just be like, that's clear. Move on. Yeah. Uh, that's so. Think about it. So what difficult. could you tell AI to give you tasteful distortion in a way that makes you feel angrier? Can can AI decipher what type of distortion would make you feel angrier if it's a personal emotion? Dude, I I still think like glue is probably as far as what I can tell. Like glue, and I hate that word by the way. But it's, glue. it's I think like the distance between the tracks, like because mm -hmm. like a really I think like a really not poorly done but locally done yeah <laughs> like mix like the drums just don't feel like they're squishing together enough it's not like a mm -hmm. lack of compression but it just like it, it feels non-professional i'm not gonna you know lie I'm, I'm a i'm a big fan of very transient drums i think it's just because i yeah. came from playing in bands no you know? but i mean like i think it's like the hamburger thing where you like you you have the hamburger and you mix it and then you squish it down at the i don't know there's something about it where the when distance you see the between, ketchup just ooze out the side yeah because every song that i like so much is a little bit squished not squished but like really and not compressed in the audio Parallel? sense no 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 they're it's very condensed okay it's very condensed it's not squished it's not compressed i'm not hearing necessarily compression or pumping or anything like that but but the dynamic range is not that wide it's not huge, but then you can say like for any jazz and bluegrass record, it's the total opposite. For any sort of like classical sync placement record, it's the opposite. Oh man! But that, about, that's not like commercial either yeah. in, the, in the typical sense. We're talking like pop music. Jazz, jazz is not pop. But think music. about it this way too: like uh, things that weren't necessarily pop back then are pop now. Like think about System of a Down mixes. They were very clean when you think about records like Toxicity, 
But then when you think about songs like Sugar, where he's just completely filtered out and all that kind of stuff, they're just being weird. The guitar is just going pew, 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 pew. And then he just comes in, sugar. Like everybody's like, who the hell are these guys? Why are they releasing these songs? Who's mixing it? And then you listen to the mix, you're like, Yo, that drum set sounds like it's just in an open live room. The guitar sounds like it was close mic'd and like professionally done. The bass, where the fuck is the bass? You know, but they were such good creative mixes because they stood out so much that eventually people were like, yo, I want that system of a down song. For sure. You know, like everybody started saying, you know what? It's so out of place that it feels good. That's that's true. There are things that feel so out of place. Like a a, a bad mix is a perfectly balanced mix, right? Yeah, like a good <laughs> mix is, doesn't have perfect balance. Like anyway, when Trap um, Soul came out, I thought I'm not gonna lie. I thought the mixes were pretty bad. I still kind of <laughs> think so. Like every time I hear like um, what is it, 805 come up or 508 come up? I forgot what the name of the record is, but um, it's so piercing. The snare smacks you so dead in the ear that you're just like, ow. But then, like everybody was hitting me up for like a year, saying I want that Bryson Tiller sound. Yeah, let's let's. I'm I'm gonna kind of bring us back to the main idea. I think mm-hmm. there's a couple questions that I want to ask, right? And I want to think about is one: how can we get like how can a novice mixer learn to achieve a more contemporary commercial sound mm-hmm. when we don't we can't even define. What a contemporary commercial sound is. Easy. Listen to more music and start pinpointing the things you like about each record. Forget about being the most perfect listener. Mm. Just start thinking emotionally. We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Tegler Audio. Based out of Berlin, Tegler makes fantastic analog pieces of equipment. Everything from compressors, both tube, VCA as well, from reverbs to recording channel strips to tube summing mixers. And to my favorite piece that I personally own and have and use is the Schwarcraft machine, which is digitally controlled compression, 11 different types of compressor. I mean, this thing is built to the brim with tubes and transformers it's fantastic they have digitally controlled analog gear which i'm a huge huge fan of they've got two different pieces of that they've got 500 series gear so whether you're a tracking engineer a mixing engineer or a mastering engineer you need to check out this high quality company tegler and guess what their prices they're not they're not crazy they're mid-range prices for high-end equipment. They're like a fantastic company. We love them so much. And if you want 10% off any of their gear, you can go to their website directly or from their shop directly, or I'll link it in mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Tegler, T-E-G-E-L-E-R, and use the code MMPOD to get 10% off your next order. On top of that, till the end of May, they're doing like $30 or $40 off their new plugin that they're going to announce on June. So all of these pre-orders are going to be like a solid discount off and it's a total secret. I have no idea what this plugin is. So once again, um, that code will not work on the plugin yet, but if you want gear, go check out mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Tegeler, T-E-G-E-L-E-R and use the code M-M-Pod. Now back to the show. Think about it. Like, why do we like certain songs so much? It might be a vocal melody. Like, um, I like that song, uh, Kiss Me More. Because of uh, SZA's lick at, but have you heard SZA's run at the end of her verse? 
Uh, like not it's, off the top of my head, I don't. Really. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's one of those like she uh, she arpeggiates down. <laughs> yeah, sure. but she does it in that like silky soft voice hey. that she has. But Doja's mix on that song is very clean. But SZA's consistent lo-fi, over reverbed kind of sound just makes it to where like when she's doing things that's like part that. Of a brand too. Yeah, Travis Scott has a similar thing. Exactly. You're just kind of listening to them. You're like, yo, I really like this. And part of it is not necessarily like knowing what EQ it is. It's just knowing what the vibe of the sound is. Yeah. You could use twenty different EQs and achieve the same sound. That's another. Yeah. So I think you're right. You're exactly right. Like the difference between the difference between like a, a commercial mix and a, if, so if you're a novice mixer trying to get more commercial mixes, I, you're exactly right. I think it's intentional taste. Like yep. you're very confident with your own taste. You've pick and choose what you liked out of when you grew up, you were listening to MGMT records that you really love. You, mm. you had these John Mayer records that you really loved and you had these earth, wind and fire records that you really loved. You had these Stevie records that you really loved the sound of. You had these Chris Brown records that you really loved the sound of. Yep. And then you're combining it all to the point where you're mixing a song that is in your taste that aligns with the intention of the song and what the song is asking for what, what the, the artist client is wants. looking to do yeah. yeah and then on top of that your very well refined defined refined and defined taste meaning that you know exactly what you want and mm -hmm. i can hear that you've learned to actually be able to pull up that sound on your own with your tools and get as close as possible because at the end of the day nobody's going to get it exactly the same not even the same mixer you think every chris brown mix has the same exact vocal mix yeah, 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 yeah. Hold you know on, can I, mean? I can I finish my thought before I forget? Yeah. Sorry. Is is another thing too? It's like a novice mixer. Whenever I hear a novice mix, mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like anything I've heard before. Yeah, it it sounds really sloppy and it doesn't sound intentional and it yep. sounds like no they didn't reference anything. Yeah, and if they did, they were listening for the wrong things. That's actually a really good point. Referencing alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like so. Yeah. It's like I think that's what it is. A bad mix doesn't sound like anything, and it sounds like you haven't really fully defined your taste, and it's not done intentionally. It yeah. sounds like you're trying to figure out what the song wants to do, and I think that's why practice and experience is so so perfect. Is is because that's helping practicing you to not hear compression, although that's part of it, but yeah. it's helping you figure out what tastes work well with you. What type of compression do you like? And there's yep. a lot of people out there that have put in enough hours to like hear compression, but not putting enough hours to forget what the compression does. And now to just listen to what it feels like, because yep. it, it takes a certain amount of like getting used to compression yep. or getting used to EQ to figure out, okay, what about it? Is it that I like, Yep. you know, um, and I like think for instance, I think you're more of a VCA guy when it comes to your buses. Um, I'm more, of a very new guy and it's just a taste difference they compress well i'm pretty flexible yeah. in this sense yeah uh well it's always going to come down to preferences you'll always but i have my i have my habits made. yeah i have yeah, my yeah. habits there's a few yeah. few plugins that i always try first yeah like i'll always kind of reach for the l ray um not because it's that much better of a plugin or compressor than anything else it's just a sound that i know and i'm familiar with and i can work with tangent audioscapes is making a replica of the RCA compressor that the LRA is based off of. Did you know that? Ooh. In fully analog Can form. Everybody and it's stop like a six things? U. It's like a seven, six, seven yeah. U thing. Anyway, total tangent. We're not going to get into it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's exact. I think that's exactly right what you were saying. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of the powerful thing of it. Um, a lot of a lot of new guys, uh, when you listen to their mix, it's not necessarily that it doesn't sound like something you never heard before. You You understand the direction that they were going. You understand 
somewhat of their inspiration. You can hear it of to a, a novice certain mix. Yeah, to a certain level. Think about it. Everybody wants that super bright, uh, super reverbed out thing. But things that you did notice in their mix is that it's not very clear. It's too much most of the times. It's usually too much top end. Uh, usually it's too boomy in the voice. Like they didn't do any shelving to tighten up the the voice so that it could be on top of the mix without sounding boomy or something. Mm. There's usually tells. Because yeah. they didn't reference another song and say like, oh, well, my voice is louder, so I want more bass in my voice. It's like, well, that's not actually how most people get it louder. Like, you probably haven't referenced enough to, or while you were tracking it, you were probably so in your pocket for your own creative taste that if you were to try to make it sound more commercial, you probably should have listened to other mixes and been like, you know what? I know I like my voice this way, but let me see if I can find a way that kind of blends a commercial mix with my current mix. Yeah. And, you know. and going back to the commercial mix thing too, like there's like the the sonics of it. We we're talking about this, um, like the tonal balance of it. Some in. things are like too dark. Some things are really bright. It's also within that sort of stuff. Anything that's dark doesn't have like a really bubbly 500 hertz that's like really present and loud. Like it's still yeah. balanced. Yeah, it's still very balanced. Like they've that 500 hertz has been cut down or boosted to the point where it flip blends in everything really well with that. Yeah. And that again kind of adds to the intention intentional bit of it. Yeah. So. Um, the second question that I wanted to ask, if I can remember here. So the first one was, how can a novice um, kind of m- get to the point where it sounds more professional? I think the num- the second question that I may have forgotten, I'm trying to remember right now, uh, was going to be based around the idea of uh, where does where can you and any listener right now figure out ways. To like, what are some ways that you find songs to reference, Lou? Um, how do you study mixing? Like, how do you practice mixing without actually mixing? So, <laughs> this is gonna sound stupid, but um, when I'm not in the studio, I'm actively disengaging any kind of studio mindset, and I think that's what people need to do. Mm. Um, I think people are being overly critical when they just listen to music. And because of that, it takes away from the fun of it. Um, I think I talked about this on an episode last year where I went to a concert and for the first time in a long time, I was able to enjoy the concert Mm. because I was more focused on the band than I was in the mix or the speakers in the room or how the room was calibrated. I just turned off that critical side of me and just said, you know what, just enjoy the record for the record and see what you like. You know, so like um, uh, yesterday and the day before, actually for the last three days, I've been building out like over 50 acoustic panels, right? Nice. Uh, yeah, a lot of work, not a lot of time to do it. Um, but um, in that timeline, I probably listened to a thousand songs. And at no point hold was on, hold I. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. Three minutes times 1,000. Yeah, what? It doesn't Siri, work. come it doesn't on, work. hold on, hold work. on. Calculator is quick. Hold on, calc. Three minutes times one thousand. Three. That's three thousand. Okay, let's uh, divide that down by what? Sixty. Fifty hours. hours. Fifty hours. Okay, so maybe not fifty hours, but you get you get the yeah, idea. Yeah, okay, five hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> I put in I put in three eight hour days in go, just straight go. up like building, yeah, but yeah. So, um, still like five hundred songs. We'll say. Um, but, um, I did m- the music that I like. I tried the discover new music playlist, and I tried a bunch of different things, trying to figure out like, yo, um. 
I'm tired of listening to the songs that I've listened to a million times. Um, and I started like hearing like new artists, new records that I'd never heard before. And I was like, yo, I really like this record. And like you said, like I wasn't really listening to the mix, which makes it a good mix. But there was a lot of things that I heard and I'm like, yo, I want to try that. Like, oh shit, did you hear how they use that delay? Did you hear how they mm-hmm. use this and that? Like, because I'm in my AirPods and I'm in silent mode to try to like drown out whatever machine noise, like, I'm just like creatively working and just like sometimes you get sucked in by the song. Like if you want to get better at mixing, you one need to know your tools. It's poor workman that blames his tools. So you can't say, oh, this compressor sucks. No, you suck. Um, But chances are the reason the compressor sucks is probably because you're not doing it with intention. You probably don't have an end goal in sight. And if you listen to more music creatively and as just a fan, you probably would find new end goals. And the more you find new end goals to reach, you would not only try to hit that. And once you hit that, find a new end goal, which means you're progressively getting better and better and better by for learning these new little micro changes, right? You might say like, man, I really like the way they glue the drums together on this mix. You might go back to your studio later that night and be like, yo, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm just going to spend the next 30 minutes on this mix, uh, trying out this compressor trick that I heard. Like you might not know it was compression, but you might just be trying to recreate what you heard in these new songs. Yeah, that's true. So what you're saying is kind of getting your taste, realigning your taste and figuring out what your taste is by just listening to music for fun again. Yeah. And I do think that that's actually really, really important. Yeah. Um, kind of getting out of your own head, stop overanalyzing. I think that over, like constant overanalyzing of music is the sign of a noob. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Of a novice mixer. I think that you have to get out of your own head because at the end of the day, like the number one advice we, from all of the interviews that we've done, from all the mix mm-hmm. with the masters, engineers, uh, in person and online videos that we've ever watched, it's the the number one advice of heavy hitting mixers is always mix emotionally. It's yep. never anything else. It's yep. not about this plugin. It's not about how I use this parallel compression. Usually they have gear, but they'll never talk about their gear. And it's oh, not well, because they, they're trying to keep they, secrets yeah. or anything. It's just like it's not the most critical part of their work. Yeah, and and to be fair, more importantly, like yeah, that's it's it's right. It's not the most critical part of their work, and it's it's straight up just taste. Yeah. And uh, what was the direction I was going into? What was the point I was trying to make? But I do think that people need to stop listening. And and when you do listen critically, I think that the reason why people have a car mix or a car test, the reason why people do a car test is because they typically listen to more music in their car casually. Mm-hmm. So they're, I think referencing is not just something that you do while you're mixing, but you're doing it before you mix. So you're listening to music before you start mixing. Yeah. So you're building your catalog of what you like. Yeah. Right. So if you've been in the car and you've been listening to a lot of CDs, a lot of records, a lot of Spotify, and then you you do a mix and you go into your car, and the reason why you can tell that there's too much low end or there's too much top end is because you listen to so much fucking music in your car that you can tell when something is off from your regular baseline that you've created from listening to so much music in your car. So instead of listening to a lot of music in your car, one way that you can practice mixing without mixing is actually listening to music casually and maybe with a little bit of an analytical brain um, Mm -hmm. with in your mixing position. So if you're mixing on headphones, use those headphones a lot. If you're mixing on speakers, sit in your mix position in front of the speakers from like in the same exact way that you're going to do it when you're mixing Mm -hmm. and spend 10 to 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour um, getting used to your speakers, getting used to the sound of all these mixes that you know you like and figuring out 
what your baseline is in that position. I'm not going to lie. One of the things that I'm really considering doing is just buying a set because uh, I had my DT770s for so long, but it turns out they broke now. Um, I must have stepped on them because I found the, the jack was broken and I'm like, fuck, okay, I'll fix this in the meantime. But I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, I, I wish... I could just have like some like headphones that everybody has, like some Beats or something. The AirPod Maxes I forgot existed. If you if you have AirPod Maxes, uh, you could take those into your studio and you can connect them with an eighth inch. Oh, you, the headphone ones. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, can actually ones? yeah, you can actually use those ever as a reference point if that's what you listen to all the time and you find a way to connect them. You know, you can actually use them with your session workflow use uh if you can't do it di connected directly you can also do uh audio movers send your phone a link it may have a little bit of delay but that kind of forces you to kind of think a little more critically on like how much you touch before you hear the difference you know but yeah uh, the point yeah. is that you're actually you're the point you're making is that you're listening to music whatever that you're used to on yeah so like nels did this if you remember nels from uh, yeah, from yeah. Utah. He he decided. I listen to music so much on my AirPods. I'm just gonna mix on my AirPods. Yeah, and they're not like the most flat or even close to the most flat. They're not reference grade monitors. But they're like what that. he knows. But his mixes sounded great, specifically because he knew what they sounded like. Yep. He he had a very strong foundational baseline of what too much bass is, of what too little bass yep. is, and kind of the flexibility between genres, um, the flexibility between songs that he likes, and he kind of knew what his taste was, which made his mixes sound fair. Fairly commercial, even as a non-mixer. Yeah. Like, he's a producer that mix had fairly good mixes. You know, and I can already hear people thinking, like, oh, well, you know, why not invest in, like, good speakers or good headphones at that point, blah, blah, I actually had this conversation with, like, a really big producer the other day where he was uh, asking me, he's like, you know, my headphones broke. Never had an issue with them. Used Beats for years. In fact, I mixed all these blah, blah, blah records. Like, they were known records um, on Beats. Uh, but I saw the oddest or Odyssey's at NAM, and like I just can't justify spending like an extra fifteen hundred um, when my three hundred dollar headphones are enough. This and that, and the only point that I could make to him was this: like, listen, man, like we we both agree, like work on what you know. The only real reason you might spend more is because you want to hear more detail than those things can ever present you with, which makes your workflow faster because you make more decisive decisions uh, with that much more information available to you. But you have to take the time to get used to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Which means if you buy a new set of headphones that you don't know, you it's going to take you longer to get to the same spot you were already at. So buy the headphones you have if you're comfortable with those and you think it's going to... Like if you're in the middle of a mix, I wouldn't switch headphones. You know, And that's because in his space, he has like KRKs, but he has no acoustic treatment. He's like, yeah, my room sounds like shit, this and that. So even if he wanted to mix on speakers and claim that the speakers were more expensive and this and that, that they should be better, in his room, it doesn't really help him. So like, I find that like a lot of times, like when you think about like a novice mix versus a commercial mix versus a creative mix, a lot of times the novice mix is like, easily identifiable fault identifiable faults in the mix like the vocals are either too drowned out because in their room maybe there's like a bass note or something so like they keep turning up the bass but they didn't do the car test they didn't check in their own headphones you know but had they just used something that they knew chances are they'd get a better balance in their mix yeah there's um so again, I think referencing is the secret here. Yeah. And I do think it's very apparent and very clear when someone doesn't reference when they're mixing 
or before they're mixing, it's very apparent. And every time we do like mixed feedback or something like that, that's the first question that we ask. If it sounds really off from anything commercial, I'll be like, did you reference the answer nine out of 10 times is no. no. Yeah. I have not. I didn't even think about it. I forgot to do it. I usually do it, but I didn't this time along those lines. Oh, yeah. Um, now, that being said, I rarely ever mix during... No, I reference a lot during a mix, uh, but I reference mostly with the rough rough mix and if they sent specific mixes yeah. over. Um, but I've been doing so much mixing and so much studying that like, I have a very... And in the same location with the same speakers enough now yeah. where I have a very good foundational idea of what sounds great. Anyway, um, and I'm very intentional with my, with my tastes. So, one, referencing the importance of that we cannot emphasize enough. It's making you look like a dumbass if you don't <laughs> reference. Honestly, I'm, yeah. I'm telling you right now, it, it really, really makes it sound like you have no idea what you're doing. I don't know why it does that. I can't tell you technically why your mixes sound like shit, but it's very obvious when you don't reference. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons is is because you don't really have a full idea of what what your tastes are yet but when you use a reference you're going to find out oh my gosh my drums aren't even close to this yeah. and you're going to be able to hopefully figure out and kind of have at least a when you experiment from then on you'll have at least a an end goal of what you're trying to achieve okay i want the drums to sound more glued or whatever adjectives i'm using yeah. to describe this this reference drum kit and then now you have no idea how to get there but now it's actually becoming training where you're figuring out what tools are within your arsenal that are available to you to get to that sound that this reference says okay the the symbols are quieter so I'm going to balance that down okay but then there's the drum bus it just feels like a little bit more aggressive so I'm going to actually I th I'm going to try compression I think that's the move okay that wasn't it is it just boosted low end or dipped mids is that what it is you try it's like oh my gosh that was it oh yeah. maybe now a little bit of saturation on top because the transients you're going to start to think you have a reason and an end goal with your thought process mm -hmm. so it actually is even better training yeah so it's fantastic i think i did a lot of training like that actually now that i'm thinking about it, i'm sure you have as well like with reference tracks trying to match you're never going to get it exactly that was actually right. a test in my college where they'd give you a final mix and they just give you the raw stems they're like um for actually that was one of our finals now that I think about it, um, but they basically gave you a fully mixed song. They gave you just the raw uh, tracks and they said you got two hours. Yeah, there you go. And, yeah. he and here's the thing. We've gotten to the point now where we did this before. Like uh, the specific example is you had like a dangerous summing mixer. Yeah. And I yeah, said, yeah. I said, um, I said, I can do this with an EQ. Like the difference sonically that the summing mixer is doing, I can do with an EQ. I pulled up a fab yeah. filter, like did a cross reference and just soloed the the summed one versus one like to the raw one with the fab filter and i got really close to the sound of the summing box with just an eq and that's yeah. not something that anybody can do that that kind of goes to show that's the amount of training that i've done with references and and you could you could do the same thing too you've probably done that before as well yeah. where with an eq and you're like able to match something because you're you're your training is based off of referencing. So when you have a sound that you want to go for, you know exactly how yeah. to do it. So there's there's a lot of that. Reference, 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 reference. Um, and then as you reference, once you kind of know what you want to do, then add in the creative. And oftentimes, I will say, the higher level you go as a mixer, the creative moves, like something is distorting, was done by the producer. It's not done afterwards by the mixer. Yeah. So that's like a whole nother thing as well. Um, creativity is added in by the producer the commercial is added by the mixer <laughs> so something that i've added to my like uh get a quote form has been um 
asking the very defining difference of what they're hoping for me to do, which is, uh, are you looking for me to take creative uh, freedoms? And then I'll put in parentheses, like um, possibly automating some delays and things of this nature or uh, adding a sub vocal uh, sub harmonic or this and that, or would you rather me um, take the mix from where it is and elevate uh, keeping everything in its place? Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like uh, a lot of times, like like you said, sometimes the producer has done all the creative work and they're just looking for it to sound better. Um, and sometimes, you know, we might distort it as a mixing engineer because we thought it sounded cool and the artist agreed. But not so much. Not well. It depends on the artist. But if yeah. it was like an A and R, you're sending it to an A and R. I'm not gonna do something kick. so different. Yeah. If it's like a friend that I'm mixing for, I might do something wildly different. But yeah. if it's for like an A and R, some sort of management yeah. or labor, it's or usually like that. clean mixing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's anyway, that's just um that's just a thought. I think we're going to end the episode here. This episode has been brought to you by the Mixing Music Podcast. Ooh. We have exclusive episodes. Mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. The cool thing about these exclusive episodes is that we take interviews done by award-winning, Grammy-winning engineers and producers and we break and uh, when they break down their process and then me and Braden we expand on specifically how to do it so there's like take takeaway homeworks there's uh, lots of different things to take away so if you're actually trying to improve your mixing skill from a technical basis go to mixingmusicpodcast.com slash exclusive to get access to the exclusive content now the exclusive content is four dollars a month or forty dollars a year but it's totally worth it we have a bunch of people signed up and we're going to, on the, maybe on the next episode, we'll do a shout out of everybody that signed up. Um, but the great thing is it's genuinely actually helpful from a technical perspective. We've done things about how to achieve better low end, how to get tighter low end, the top end the compression, what soft clipping versus hard clipping, things of this nature where you can actually figure out how to technically achieve and, and a better, more commercial sound. So go to one more time, mixingmusicpodcast.com. We also have a bunch of free resources and a bunch of PDFs. So uh, it's all fun and games, man. It's all, it's all, we have a bunch of free resources, including this podcast. And if you haven't already, um, check out Home Studio Heroes. They're Machi and Nautic are doing really, really well. And they're a segment, an official segment of the Mixing Music Podcast that are officially endorsed by us. So go check them out. And um, yeah, happy mixing, my friends, and stay Thanks, saucy. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.